Let's turn our Bibles to the book of John, the Gospel of John, chapter 8. Talking about before Abraham was, I am. This is what the, the words of Jesus Christ, where he claims to be God. All right? So the, the, the setup here is these people had no idea who they're dealing with. They think they're dealing with some hippie, kind of, you know, camps out with his boys, hangs out on the top of the hills, maybe eats mushrooms for all they know. But he looks grangy, dirty, you know, just, uh, he's not thinking, you're not looking at him and thinking Messiah. They had no idea who, who they're dealing with. Now, here's the problem. We tend to hear things that we want to hear. You ever notice this? So for years, these are Jews in Jesus' day, say 2,000 years ago, but since the time of Abraham, thousands of years before that, they've heard these things and they loved hearing them. Number one, your father is Abraham. That's phenomenal. Why? Because Abraham is the father of the faith. Abraham was called a friend of God. And for all their lives, they're hearing, this is your heritage. This is your lineage. Because you can directly connect with your father Abraham, you're in. I used to think, because I was in a certain church, I was guaranteed to go to heaven. I once had a secretary whose father literally said, of course I'm a Christian, I was born in America. So it happened. So here, here's other things, they, they were chosen out of all the earth, they actually called the apple of God's eye. If you hear this your whole life, you kind of like it. Kind of get used to hearing this. You know, you have mercies that are new every morning. God knows the plans he has for you, plans for a future and a hope. And so again, all their lives, they're hearing this stuff. We're kind of the same way. I like hearing, Mike, you're forgiven. For decades now, I've heard, I'm forgiven. I'm his friend. Jesus said, I don't call you slaves anymore because I call you my friends. And no greater love is anyone than he lays down his life for his friends. And you're favored. You're restored. You're heaven bound. So if you're hearing this, let it, don't let it just bounce off you. To, to hear that you're heaven bound means you don't have a, a care in the world on the eternal scale. Because no matter what you go through or go without or have, it doesn't matter. You're going to end up in heaven for all of eternity. You have nothing to be concerned about. That's pretty cool. I'm heaven bound, so I like hearing these things. I like hearing the, uh, uh, other things. But they developed an attitude, and we can as well. So the Jews had this attitude, well, you know what? We're entitled because we deserve this. And you can look at uh, people caught up in some sort of sin and go, you know, I'm better than they are. It's disgusting what they do. And we have this entitled attitude that, that doesn't go very far. Now, they don't like hearing stuff like, the just shall live by faith. Uh, how does that factor in? Well, this is an Old Testament quote. And what he's saying is, I don't really care about your lineage about your heritage, great, you're connected all the way back to Abraham, but Abraham was a man of faith. You need to be justified by your faith. You need to have an up-to-date relationship with your Lord. Take off your slippers. You're, who heard that? Moses. He said, 
burning fire. He comes up to, what, what is going on? Take off your slippers, you're on holy ground. You see, if I've developed this entitled attitude, I don't like hearing that. What do you mean I'm on holy ground? Or how about this one, where God says, I desire compassion, not sacrifice. See, I could think, well, I gave money, I did a sacrifice, so that's all that's necessary. And here God says, I'm not looking at that. I'm looking at your heart. And it's never good to have a hardened heart. And so you, I, I need to operate with a heart of compassion. Last one, to obey is better than sacrifice. King Saul thought, okay, I did this sacrifice. That's, that's all that's necessary in Samuel the prophet. Don't you know? God needs, God's looking for obedience. And you're saying, oh, let's emphasize our connection with Abraham. God says, uh, how about some obedience? That would be great. Here's what we don't like hearing. In the New Testament, John the Baptist, you're a bunch of poisonous snakes. That's what it means when he says, you're a bunch, you're a brood of vipers. He's saying, you look like a pile of snakes with a ton of venom in you. And yet you go, wow, we're Abraham's children. Well, Jesus said, your father's the devil. Now that quote comes from this morning, John chapter 8. I don't think they liked hearing that one. Or this one. Moses, or, um, John the Baptist was famous for saying, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand, or the kingdom of heaven is at hand. A lot of people don't make the connection that the very first phrase of the very first recorded sermon we have by Jesus is exactly the same. It's not like they're a night and day difference. Same idea. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. So with that, we want to see how Jesus is going to inspect their souls, inspect their fruit. In this sermon, it's entitled, Before Abraham Was, I Am. And I'm reading from the New King James Bible, beginning in John 8, verse 37. Jesus speaking, I, I know that you're Abraham's descendants. I know you can trace your lineage all the way back, but, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. You ever met someone like that? I speak what I've seen with my father, and you do what you've seen with your father. So he's making like a column of his father and a column of their father, the devil. And they answered and said to him, Abraham's our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you'd do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me. Notice this, a man who told you the truth. And a man who has told you the truth, and I've heard what which I heard from God. Abraham did, did not do, or I'm sorry, Abraham did not do this. He didn't try and kill me. Do the deeds of your father. Then he said to him, we're not born of fornication. Now they're insinuating the virgin birth of Jesus. We have one father, God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceed from, or proceeded forth and have come from God nor do I come of my, myself, but he sent me. Uh, why don't you understand my speech? Because you're not able to listen to my word. You're of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning. He doesn't stand in the truth because there is no truth in Satan. 
When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he's a liar. And notice, he's the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you don't believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? <laughs> Try saying, asking that of your enemies. If I tell you the truth, why don't you believe me? He who is of God hears God's words. Therefore, you do not hear because you're not of God. Well, Jesus is not exactly beating around the bush here. So when he says, he starts out, my word has no place in you. Have you ever met someone like that? Where it's crystal clear, this is sin, this is not. And someone says, no, I don't agree with that. That's the idea. God's word is not in you. You're not agreeing with his truth. He says, I've told you the truth. Now, that's a dangerous thing to do. To tell someone the truth, we're, we're told to speak the truth, but do it in love. You know, it's dangerous to tell someone the truth because you might not be received. Paul the Apostle found this out in the book of Galatians. Little background, Paul the Apostle planted the church of Galatians. We believe his eyes were so messed up that he couldn't travel on this missionary journey any further settled for a while in Galatia, and while he was there, planted this church. And he said, you know, Galatians, in chapter 4, he goes, you would have given me your eyes if it would have helped. So that kind of insinuates his eyes was, was the problem. But, but Paul goes, have I, have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? What did he tell him? He goes, guys, where's that sense of blessing you once had? It used to be a, a blast to be I can't wait to get to Galatia. We're going to have so much fun, holy fun. They're just great people. And he says, but now you're all legalistic. I don't feel comfortable around you. I'm just not myself around you. It's like you want me to do some little dance around you. Just like, what happened? And I love this phrase. Where's that sense of blessing you once enjoyed? You were blessed. Now you become so legalistic. And here he is, have I become your enemy? Just because I told you the truth. And here's Jesus saying, guys, I told you the truth, but you're not receiving it. The truth is your father is the devil. Now that's a bit shocking. Again, it's not Abraham you, you claim this uh, direct lineage to. If you, if you act like anyone, it's not Abraham, it's the devil. The proof is in the fruit. He's saying, you act just like him. If God were your father, you'd love me. So th th this is so important. It's, it's impossible to say, I love God, but I reject Jesus. Because Jesus is saying, if you only really love God, you'd love God's son. So the devil is the father of lies. That means he gave birth, Satan, or originally known as Lucifer, the shining one, he gave birth to the idea of non-truth. So if it wasn't for Satan, we just have truth. Maybe people try to cover it up, but we wouldn't have lies. He gave birth to the very concept of, of lies, and, and you don't want to follow him. So here Jesus is saying, okay, look, at this point, this is crazy. You have to picture he's in front of his enemies who are wanting to kill him. And he goes, hey, so what? Who convicts me of sin? Who wants to point out some fault of mine? 
So I, I say, well, why don't you try putting that on social media? Ask your enemies, you who are on social media. Hey, anybody want to point out my inconsistencies? <laughs> anybody want to show my in insecurities? Do you want to talk about my, you know, less than perfection? And man, but these guys, when Jesus asks them point blank, I mean, what if it's a crowd like this? I don't know. Hey, have I sinned? They were speechless because he was sinless. So when he says your father's a devil, let's talk about this. Isn't that a creepy picture? Uh, we're going to talk about this because recently on um, the Grammys, right? Some I don't really watch, but a, a singer named Sam Smith did this unholy thing and, and everybody's standing up and applauding it. But here's the, here's the problem. In, the, in his act, or whatever you want to call it, he portrays Lucifer, he portrays Satan as the ruler of hell. And then hell is like one big Budweiser drunken party. And that the girls are scantily clad and locked up in cages, evidently for people's pleasure. That's, that's the furthest thing from the truth. Satan's not the ruler of hell. Satan is a prisoner of hell, or he will be, as the Bible says. Hell is not a drunken bash. It's a, Jesus talked more about hell than about heaven, so I think we should be Akamai and know, know how to rehearse this. Hell is it's on fire. People are thirsty. They have their memory. They know every time they blew it. They know every time they shut down the gospel of Jesus Christ. They have empathy for their family and friends. Hey, I, I wish I could go back and warn them. It says, Jesus said, you know, the fire doesn't die. The worm doesn't stop. So there's worms like in Job, in and out. Can you, I, I'm sorry, this is just disgusting. This is not how I want to spend eternity. He said, Jesus said, there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. <laughs> that's gnashing. Sorry. That's, that's not my idea of life ever after. And yet, in this act on the Grammys, you'd think, wow, that's such a cool place. Uh, that's where I want to go. No, Satan. <laughs> now, on the other extreme, you have people who go, is there even a devil? Because they don't want to believe in a devil. They'll say, well, there's just evil, uh, an influence, or bad karma. Now, there's, according to Jesus, there is a devil, and he has a personality. When Jesus talks about Satan, he doesn't say it, like it's an influence. He says he, like he's a person. I'm going to share something from Ezekiel 28. You're welcome to turn there. I'm going to have it all on screen. And this is the the origin of Lucifer, otherwise known as Satan, to give us a background. And Jesus is saying to the Jews, this is your father. This is who you're following. This is who you act like. So there in Ezekiel chapter 28, what we have is Satan is personified as the king of Tyre, T-Y-R-E, kind of like a city nation off the northwestern part of, of Israel. Very beautiful, fabulous, thought to be impregnable uh, place at that time. And so here's what Ezekiel says of him. You are the seal of perfection. 
Not talking about the king, but talking about Satan. You're the zeal of perfection, meaning of all created beings, you're the wisest and the most beautiful. So if you're looking for some creepy guy with horns, you might miss him. He might be the stud-looking model. You go, my goodness, he's beautiful. He goes on to describe him. The day you were created, that's key, because he is a created being. All right? Unlike Jesus, Satan, Lucifer, was a created being. That means he's not omniscient. So omni, O-M-N-I, is all. So omniscient is all science or all knowledge. He does not have all knowledge. He's not omnipotent, doesn't have all power. And he's not omnipresent, meaning he's everywhere all at once. No, he's very limited. He has arranged quite the force under him of, it would be like generals and sergeants and lieutenants, stuff like that. We believe that he took one-third of the angels of heaven with him when he rebelled against the Lord. So they were once angels, now they are fallen angels. All right. We go on in Ezekiel 28, and verse 13, he says, your timbrels and pipes. This is fascinating. We believe that Satan was once an orchestra leader, that in his being were timbrels and pipes, and he could actually sound like an orchestra. He actually led worship in heaven that was glorious, that was try and stand up. It was like phenomenal. But what happened is he goes, you know, I should be worshiped. I'm I'm equal with God. I should be worshipped. But at one point, evidently, he, he led worship and did a rather great job of it. Then uh, he was the anointed cherub in verse 14, which means the first in power, the first in authority of all created beings or the arch cherub, the top dude. All right? Jesus not being created. This is the create, first created being or the top number one of the created beings. So, then it goes on in verse 15. You were perfect in every way. Everything you did. Everything you did. So Lucifer was created perfect, but he had the power of contrary choice. Now, if you are Arnold Fruchtenbaum fans, you're, you're thinking, wow, this sounds like Arnold. I had Arnold in Bible college for five years. I deserve a trophy because <laughs> Arnold is very this way, just... Uh, but extremely good. Um, he had a, a photographic memory and a great, great friend. He's actually taught at this church. But this is his wording from, from uh, our class on demonology. So you're perfect in all your ways. That means Lucifer was perfect, but he was created with this ability to choose otherwise. And then it says in verse 15b, that till iniquity was found in you, Great trivia question. What was Satan's sin according to, first, uh, according to the New Testament? It's too easy. It was pride. In 1 Timothy, we said, you know, the first sin was pride. And in, in Ezekiel, it says that your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. Now, not, not all of us are living with this curse. <laughs> 
of being so beautiful that I get proud about it, but, uh, you know, one person left. Just Verse 16, by the abundance of your trafficking or trading, that means he went about from angel to angel, slandering God and trying to win the angel over to his side. So imagine that. Imagine that going on in heaven. That's just kind of bizarre to think about. Here, this guy, God knows Satan's against me, Lucifer's against me. And now he watches as he goes from angel to angel, saying, hey, this guy's a loser. Let's get out of here. Why don't you follow me? And this is where, in Revelation, we believe one-third of the angels uh, left with Satan, says he caused violence in heaven, and that means the revolt against God's authority. This is the Satan that they're dealing with. It says in verse 17, you corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. What does that mean? Simply this, sin corrupted Satan's wisdom. He can no longer think straight. He thinks he can beat God. Now, just a real thumbnail on eschatology, the study of the end times. The next event is the rapture. According to Jesus in, in Matthew 24, when he talked about wars, rumors of wars, earthquakes, famines. Do you remember the key verse? He said, when these things begin to happen. Okay, we've begun. Look up for your redemption draws near. So the next thing is the rapture of the church. Then there'll be seven years of great tribulation led by the Antichrist, say, uh, the Antichrist. At the end of that, we'll be in in Revelation chapter 19, where the return of Jesus Christ comes, it's very spelled out. Then beginning in chapter 20 is a thousand-year rule, the millennial rule of Jesus Christ. During that time, Satan will be bound. But at the end of that thousand years, he's released one last time. And this is where this verse is going to kick in like never before. He's going to think he can outdo God. He's going to try one last revolt and this will be it he'll be locked up forever and ever and ever now getting back to to john 8 jesus saying you know there's two columns i see here you're claiming you're of your father abraham i say you're of your father the devil and so under abraham's column uh we we have he receives truth under Satan's column, no, he, he loves lies. He's the father of lies. Under Abraham's column, he loves Jesus. We'll see that in a minute. For Satan, he seeks to kill Jesus. And in this chapter, we're finding that the Jews are seeking to kill Jesus. And so Jesus is going, guys, it's just, just look at the fruit. Be a fruit inspector. Don't you love that term? There was an old song Will there be fruit in your basket when you're inspected by the Lord? So he's just a fruit inspector. He goes, you know, guys, I think by this, these two columns, your father's not really Abraham, but he's Satan. So let's finish up this chapter talking about Jesus, I am. So we pick it up in verse 48. Then the Jews answered and said to him, do we not rightly say you're a Samaritan? So now they're, they're name-calling. They can't prove he's a sinner. They can't prove it. So now you're a Samaritan. 
You're demon-possessed. You have a demon. Jesus answered, I don't have a demon. I honor my Father, and you dishonor me. And I don't seek my own glory. There's one who seeks and judges. Most assuredly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. You know, uh, I think most of you know my mom died this past uh, Valentine's Day. My auntie died just hours before that, also on Valentine's Day. Uh, so this Friday, Karen and I leave for a funeral. And uh, she was what you'd call a born-again Catholic, my mom. And I think this is such a great thing to be shared at a funeral. If anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. Speaking of eternal death or spiritual death. Then the Jews said to him, now we know you have a demon. Abraham's dead. And the prophets, you say, if anyone keeps my word, he'll never taste death. They're thinking he means physical death. No, he's talking about spiritual death. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who is dead, and the prophets are dead? And who do you make yourself out to be? Remember, I said, they don't know who they're dealing with. Who do you make yourself out to be? And Jesus answered, if I honor myself, my honor's nothing. It's my Father who honors me, of whom you say, he's your God. Yet, you've not known him, but I know him. And if I say, I don't know him, I'll be a liar just like you, because I do know him. And I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. Now this is what's really going to trip him out. And he saw it and was glad. And the Jews said, well, you're not even 50 years old. See, a Levite was forced to retire at 50 years old. He started at 20 and he had 30 years of hard labor, lifting up all those animal sacrifices. So at 50, they had to retire. So they're referring to that, you're not even retirement age of the Levites. So he's obviously a, a young-looking man. And Jesus said, most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was... I am. Then they took up stones to throw at him. See, in their, in their understanding, he's calling himself God. You say, well, I don't get that understanding. That's, we have a Western mind. It, it's not up to our culture and the interpretation of it. It's up to their culture, what it meant to them 2,000 years ago. And very clearly to them, it meant that Jesus is calling himself God. So in verse 59, they took up stones to throw at him. Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, so passed by. I have a fly this morning. Okay. So this is what we're doing this. They couldn't prove that he had sinned. He'd ask them, who, who, who accuses me of sin? Nobody says anything. So now they're reverting to name-calling. Two things in particular. You're a Samaritan. If you know anything about that, they were the half-breeds. Remember, they were conquered by the Assyrians, the northern kingdom of Israel, taken away and all mixed up and, and just kind of crazy what they believed in. And then they come back to Samaria. And they, for a pure Jew, these guys were despicable. They were compromisers. She said, I'm not a compromiser. Okay, so then uh, you, you're a demon. You're, you've got a, you're demon possessed. Well, this is where you need to be careful because now you're dangerously close to crossing the line. You can go to Matthew chapter 12. 
where the Jews had sent a congregation of people to check out Jesus. You, got, you cannot afford to be wrong. Uh, check out the, the miracles. Make sure they're miracles because they were messianic miracles. In the Old Testament, they were prophesied. He would do things like open the eyes of the blind. And so check out, validate the miracles. See if they're really messianic miracles. See if Jesus is the real deal. You can't afford to be wrong. And so this delegation, this congregation of people went to Jesus. They checked out the miracles. They were legit. They were messianic miracles. The problem is they don't want to submit to Jesus. Okay, so what are you going to do with the proof? We'll say he does it by Beelzebub. Beel, how do you say that? Beelzebub the ruler of demons. Remember, Jesus goes, careful. You're about to cross that line. You're about to have undeniable proof that Jesus is God, that Jesus is the Messiah, and instead of accepting it, repenting, and surrendering, you're saying, well, that's just Satan. Satan at work. Jesus said, if, when you cross that line, it's taking the undeniable proof that Jesus is the Messiah, and blaming on, on Satan. Just saying, oh, that's just the devil messing up. So here's the Holy Spirit presenting this proof, and you say, nope, I don't buy it. That's blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And a lifetime that does that over its life will never be forgiven. Careful. So this is the beginning. You're saying, oh, that's Beelzebub. And no, 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 don't, don't, don't go there. So then he brings out that, listen, if you follow me, if you abide in my word, you'll never see death. What a great, great thing. You'll never have spiritual separation from God. Now, when did, when did Abraham rejoice to see the day of Jesus? Uh, there's two suggestions. Uh, number one, this is called a theophany, which is an old, theo in Greek is God. So it's an Old Testament appearance of either God or the Son of God, Jesus. And there's two suggestions. One was Melchizedek. That's a whole sermon in itself, right? The, the king of Salem, the high priest of God. And Abraham comes back from victorious in battle and tithes. Tithe is a word in Hebrew that means tenth. He gives him a tenth of all his earnings. And they go, oh, so maybe Jesus was Melchizedek and Abraham rejoiced to see his day. Or another time when, when the angel of the Lord was on his way to judge Sodom and Gomorrah for the sin of homosexuality. It had been grossly overdone, the sin of, sexual, of homosexuality, the sin of immorality. It just says, and the angel of the Lord is on his way and says, hey, should we share with Abraham what we're going to do? And so maybe that's when Abraham rejoiced to see. Maybe that angel of the Lord was Jesus. So we don't know. It's not spelled out for us, but there's some possibilities. So just who is Jesus? That's what it comes down to. He says, I, I am the I am. Real quick, if you went back to Exodus chapter 3, you remember Moses is 80 years old. Moses thinks, God's done with me. I'm ready to kick it in and just go be with him. God says, I'm ready to get started in your life. And I want you to go to, 
to Egypt. I want you to go to the Pharaoh. I want you to say, let my people go. I want you to explain to the Jews how I favor them and I'm going to deliver them. And Moses goes, great. Who are you? When, 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 I mean, they have Ra, the sun god. They have this god. They, who are you? And God said in Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, I am. Literally, I am who I am, meaning I am the becoming one. I become the answer to your needs. Don't think that that means he's a little genie in the sky, you know, where you rub the bottle and, hey, what can I do for you? He's saying, you have needs. I, as the adult in the room, can answer those needs. So, he goes on to say, now this is super important. Notice where it's underlined on my part. This, this name, I am, is my name, God speaking. It is my name forever. And this is my memorial to all generations. So for Jesus to say, I am, he is claiming to be God. It might not mean anything to us, but in their culture 2,000 years ago, they knew exactly what he's saying. And it's important to understand when you're dealing with Jehovah's Witnesses, when you're dealing with Mormons, when you're dealing with cults who put Jesus on a lesser scale, this is, Jesus is God. And really quickly, the way you can say, well, he forgave sins. Remember when the four friends let the guy down on the, on the cot who was all bust up? Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. Everybody goes, who can forgive sins except God alone? That's exactly it. So he forgives sins. He received worship from men. Whenever angels were, were worshipped, they said, get up, I'm just like you. But Jesus gets back into the boat after calming the storm, and they worshipped him, and he accepted it. And then, of course, here, he claims he's, I am. He is God. He's God the Son and the Son of God. But again, they have no idea who they're dealing with. So I, this is what I want to do. I want to dwell on this for a few minutes and we're done. How is Jesus the I am the answer to your needs today? Well, you can look at areas in the New Testament where he was the I am to people in the New Testament. One of my favorite all-time stories is one of the least spoken of. Mary, remember her sister of Lazarus? comes in, anoints Jesus with this oil, super expensive oil. You just think, girl, how do you have that oil? And why would you waste it on the feet of Jesus? Remember what Jesus said? I love it. If it were an hour, hour, hey, leave her alone. Back down, clown. I mean, didn't say clown, but the idea. Leave her alone. It's interesting. You'll always have people in life who are ready to spend your money for you. Mary, this money should have been spent some other way. If it was my money, I would do this. Really? Now, Mary, what are you doing? You're taking all this of it. It just represents all this beautiful in your life, and you're just wasting it on Jesus. It's not wasted. Even Jesus said, she's preparing me for burial. But I like how the I am was with her at this point in time. As a, hey, back down, people. She's done what she could. Hey, Judas, have you done what you could? 
Peter, you've done what you could. She's not only done what she could, but wherever the gospel is shared in the world for the rest of time, this act will be spoken of. And here we fulfill that prophecy once again, speaking of something she did. But here we see Jesus, the I am, the protector. For Peter, <laughs> another favorite story. He paid his taxes. This might be pertinent to some of you. It's tax time. And there the, the Jews are messing with Peter going, dude, uh, you pay your taxes? Does Jesus pay taxes? And if you ever know the story, Jesus, Peter goes, uh, yeah, sure, of course. And he walks away. And Jesus goes, hey, uh, Peter, want to pay some taxes? Yeah. Why don't you cast a line into, well, first off, Peter's a fisherman by nets. He does it man's way. You know, go to the shore with a little rod and once you cast your line, the very first fish you catch, open it up, there'll be enough gold in there, enough, enough money to pay my tax and your tax. And so Peter does it. Now here's his way. He's the provider. He's I am. He's with Peter. Now here's the thing. What's your need this morning? What do you have? See, for Peter, he's got a testimony that he never tires of. I just, let me tell you how we paid my taxes one year. Let me tell you what God, I don't know, I just, I just obeyed. I just went down there and I, it didn't make sense to me. These things don't happen. I'm a fisherman, I know better, but God said to do it, I did it. Mary, what, what was it like to have my Savior back me up? Had my Savior put everyone in their place in the room, all those men who were finding fault with me? It was awesome. What's he need to do in your life today, this week ahead? And the truth is, you might have some ideas what's going on this week, or you might be clueless. You have no idea what waits you. Here's my last thought about the I am. Sometimes I think we're more concerned with methods than we're concerned with the Messiah. So let me explain. Hey, Peter, how did you do it? My taxes are due. I need money. So what kind of a rod was it? What name brand? Was it the reel that opens up or was it just the cast? Was it 12, 12 pound test line? What kind of hook? Was it a treble with three hooks? What, 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 did you use bait? Or where exactly were you standing? Was it right here? What time of day? What was the tide doing in or out? I want to know the methods because I'll do exactly what you did. And Peter goes, I didn't do any of that. He said, throw in a line. That's all I did. I obeyed him. It wasn't a method. Messiah was with me. Hey, Moses, what was your method, man? I mean, it's kind of crazy. God says, we're going to Egypt. And <laughs> you went. The most powerful army in the world, the most powerful man in the world at that time, and you're going, man, I'm going. What, what were you thinking? What method did you, because I'll, I'll, you write a book on it, 
I'll read the book and I'll repeat your methods. You know what his methods were? He would tell you, I did every excuse, I offered every excuse in the book. Lord, I stutter. Lord, I'm no good. Finally he goes, Lord, send whoever you want, meaning anyone but me. And at that point, God got mad. Moses, what was your method? Did you hold that rod with your right hand, your left hand? Was your right hand foot forward? Did you have reverb in your voice? Tell me, and I'll, I'll just do everything. And Moses said, no, 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 no. God said, I'm with you. If you read the account, Moses is offering one excuse after another, and God said, I will be with you. I think that's enough. I think we'll get this. I think we'll get, get all of Egypt on their knees. So I'm with you. Folks, this morning, it's not a method that you need. It's a Messiah. And Messiah says, I will be with you. To me, the most beautiful four-letter word in the English language, well, love is up there. But with, pretty powerful. Lord says, I am, I am with you. So do you know who you're dealing with? Can we have the worship guys come back? You know, it'd be good. <laughs> we could say, Lord, I am so sorry. I, I think of what I've... I treat you as a method, you know? One, two, three steps and taxes are paid and... I think it'd be wonderful to leave this room surrendered with the thought, Messiah's with me. Emmanuel, God with us. And then you fill in the blank, what's your real need? I need a changed heart. I need medical healing. Uh, I need to repent. I need strength. I need wisdom. You need the Messiah. Let's stand and.